every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with William Tyree, the CMO at Intelligence Bank, a platform that helps marketing teams get brand and legal approved content out the door faster. In this episode, William discusses his focus on being the easiest company to buy from, the importance of empathizing with buyers, and how customer buying behavior has changed over recent years. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. And now please enjoy this interview between William Tyree, the CMO at Intelligence Bank, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a recurring, very special guest, William, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ian? It's great to have you back on the show. And what a what a absence it has been. I mean, it's I feel like we've done a hundred episodes since you last came on the show. I don't know if that's that's true, but it feels that way. Well, you've been prolific. You're everywhere, <laughs> and uh, and I will say too that I'm I'm thrilled because you are one of you know, five marketing podcasts that I listen to on the regular. So, and I mean that I especially love the compilations of uncuttable budget items. So I, I never miss those for sure. So I really thrilled to be back. Thank you. Me too. Uh, well, thrills to have you back, but I also love the compilations of the uncuttable budget items, which to our listeners, if you haven't listened to one of those, I love, I do it, you know, it's budget season right now. It's always budget season, but it's especially budget season right now. And I love just going back and checking out what other CMOs are doing with their, with their dollars. It's like why we made this show. And I find it super helpful. So I'm glad to hear that. Today's show is brought to you as always by our friends at Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn more. Qualified is the number one conversational sales marketing platform for companies, revenues, teams that use Salesforce. Head over to qualified.com to learn more. William, you know all about Qualified. I don't need to tell you. I do. I do. Not only am I two-time guest on your show, two-time Qualified customer. So I'm sure we'll get into that as we go. Well, you know, there you go. What what an organic plug. (laughs) So we've already had you on the show, William. So we know all about your background. But what we don't know is the company that you are CMO of now, Intelligence Bank. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. We are a company that helps marketing teams get content out the door faster, brand and legal approved. And what does that mean? You know, we're in an era right now where marketing teams are for especially a lot of B2B marketing teams. They're not growing super fast. You know, we're all under pressure to either be profitable, revenue neutral, or to be as productive as possible. So it's really hard for your team to put out the content that they need to when they're working across five or six different solutions. And and essentially, Intelligence Bank has one scaled solution for create workflow approvals, things like transcript, automated transcripting, closed captions for media, all, all that stuff. So it's a bunch of 
workflow approval all in one place that makes it easy to share with your, your team and your partners. And you stepped into this role as CMO. What was it like, you know, coming into the job and, and hitting the ground running? Really great. I mean, I, for one thing, I, I, I've been in the world of selling mostly to sellers for a long time, selling to sales teams and rev up teams and occasionally crossover people. But it's really awesome actually, you know, selling to marketing teams because I think part of B2B marketing is really leaning into, you know, the buyer pain and their struggles. And I felt all the pain. So for me, it was a thrill just to be able to say, okay, like I understand our, our target audience. I understand what they're going through, especially at this moment in time and the ability to be kind of authentic and saying, Hey, you know, they actually got some solves for you. And I think the other thing is we have an incredible CEO who herself is a former CMO. So she completely gets it. And, you know, she's just an incredible founder. And I, I love working with somebody who's, who loves marketing and is easily the most responsive person I know in my entire life. So that, that's incredible. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where we go to feel honest and trusted and you share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. Tell us a little bit more about Intelligence Bank's customers. Sure. We've got about 800,000 customers MERS World Live or end users. And it's everybody from, you know, brands that you know, like Hyatt, Hertz, Australian Grand Prix, KFC, Carl's Jr., to a lot of brands that you might not know. Increasingly, we are in highly regulated industries like banking, healthcare, insurance. And the reason for that is because all those industries are under a lot of pressure right now. I, I think most marketers in the world, they're worried about some kind of market dynamic upsetting their their budget or their financial model for the year. But in those industries, you also have to worry about somebody like the SEC or the Department of Education or somebody like that hitting you with like a massive, you know, regulatory fine that's like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. So helping those customers actually stay in regulatory compliance and brand compliance is, is something that we're, we're increasingly invested in. And tell me a little bit more about that buying committee and the types of personas that you're selling to. Yeah, sure. So like really interesting people. So marketing leaders, brand leaders, heads of digital, those are kind of the obvious ones. But it's interesting, depending on where it is in the world, we also see people in communications. So for example, in a lot of government, you know, worldwide, it's actually the heads of communications that are, that are in charge of maintaining brand governance, right? So those folks are in on it. There's actually something, a role that I didn't know about previously called the digital asset administrator, or mm. digital asset management administrator. So those are typically there. And then I think one thing that's trending is, especially at the enterprise level in mid-market, we're seeing more and more involvement by IT. I think for years, marketers pretty much, you know, manage their own software lines. And that's still largely true, but increasingly there's more oversight by IT as they're trying to, you know, make sure that we have a cohesive stack that all works together. I want to zoom in on the, on the brand persona really quick, because yeah. 
it's something that we actually talk about a lot on my other show, Remarkable, and it's something that we talked about on your show, Brand Intelligence, where I came on on your podcast a little bit ago. And this like head of brand, VP of brand, SVP of brand content and and comms, SVP of brand community and events, it feels like every single company has a different flavor of what is brand, what is under the purview of brand and and what type of person that, you know, that is. And then like you have sort of the non-marketers who are like, does brand matter? And should they even have a budget and all that other stuff? But like, what are, what are your thoughts about this? Like this, this SVP of brand VP of brand type role and what that heck falls under them? Cause it seems like definitely content is an increasing, you know, part of that, but also just kind of everything kind of catch all. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I feel like for a while, it was kind of like product marketing where, you know, you interview 100 product marketers and you, you get maybe like 90 different job descriptions in terms of what you, you hear, what they really do. I felt like that for brand for a while, but I feel like the that role is is increasingly more unified. And here's where I think it's really important is especially for bigger companies who work with a lot of partners, you played in a lot of different ecosystems around the world. They're in charge of things that, that affect not only the, the, the spirit of the brand, the compliance of the brand in terms of all the like almost tangible things like, like colors and look and make sure like the most recent assets are being used and things like that, which is really hard. Like we talked about formula one, Australian grand prix. Imagine if you're head of brand, for Formula One, trying to make sure in all those countries around the world that they are using the right assets, the right images of the drivers, the approved videos and things like that, because you've got sponsors on all those cars, right? That, I guess, gives you like a, a hint of just the complexity for it. But I also think then, though, that it's it's multiplied, though, when you have not only people who are working in your organization, but also outside. And just, it, it's it's like if you don't have somebody strong managing it and playing offense and saying like, hey, here's everything who's approved, things like talent rights management, right? So for example, you contract a certain actor, for example, or a set of images or videos that are that are only good for a certain time. If you don't have somebody in charge of making sure that those are pulled back before the contract's over or before it's switched or something like that, you can end up with a lot of headaches on your on your hands. So that those are just some of the reasons why I feel like it's it's a super important role. And I think it's getting as as things like talent rights get more complex over time. I think we're going to see just a, a huge growth in that role, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting that y'all are a marketing operations tool you know, that, that brand people have to pay attention to, or not just marketing operations, but you know, like that, this idea of like a brand, a tool that helps your brand stay, you know, the same everywhere is now an increasingly, you know, technology software is eating the world. And like, of course that, that there, you have to think about that stuff. And like these, you know, bigger brands where you're, you're B2C or, or like Grand Prix or something like that, Formula One, where you are everywhere you're in person, you're digital, you're like everything in between the, the complexity is endless. And it's just, it's crazy to think that a brand person would be doing that and running your event series and, you know, like managing your user conference and managing, you know, your portfolio of, of 
serialized content and, and shows and you know like it's that it's just a crazy remit yeah it's a big job and um you know depending on the complexity of business you know um, a, a lot of them will have you know considerable staff reporting them and i think the way that we're going to see that evolve over time is is i believe just kind of more authority going over there especially as the regulatory environment worldwide is only going to get more complex you know i mean just think about some of the stuff that's been trotted out just in the last year about AI regulations alone. And, and that's, that's not even touching things like false advertising, right? Now, how do you think about your marketing strategy? You know, you've been a CMO a few times at this point. It's not your first rodeo. What's your marketing strategy? How do you think about building pipeline? Yeah, you know, it's like every ecosystem, every company is different, but for me, I try to simplify it down for the team kind of into, into three areas. It's demand capture, demand creation, and demand conversion. And no matter what your role is on the team, um, whether you're in product marketing or marketing operations, it's like whenever something comes your way or you have an idea, you bring an idea, everything has to fit somehow toward either capturing demand that exists in the market, which is really important right now, which is tapping into people who already have budget and are in an active buying cycle and just trying to be as helpful as possible and lead them to, you know, a, a, a sales conversation or a purchase demand creation, which is obviously, you know, telling people that there's a solution to their problem that they didn't know exist and, and helping them understand how they can help. And then I think the big one really now for, for companies is, is just converting the demand that you have. Right. And, and, and I say, especially right now, just because anytime you've got choppy economic waters, which, you know, even look at the headlines today, you're going to see 60% of them say that, you know, the economy is in good shape. And then 40% are saying recession fears again, anytime there's things like that, you want to make sure that you're, you're looking at your existing customer base as well and saying, are there additional ways that, that we can help them that they don't, they, they don't know about. So can we grow with our existing customers? So everything is framed through kind of that lens. And then there's myriad, you know, tactics that, that lead up to those things. Yeah. And how do you, how do you structure your team to fit that strategy? Essentially, I, I do believe in w with what we do for sure. There's, there's a strong focus on product marketing. And when I say product marketing, I kind of, I, I use that term because it's one we're all kind of familiar with, but it's really about, it's really the opposite of that. It's leaning in to buyer problems and pain and making sure you lead with that so that you're just kind of not out there in the marketplace, just telling people about all the great product you have as a lead in, right? It has to be relevant. It has to be tied to something. So our job is, is in ways, even though we have somebody dedicated to the role, I feel like in ways we have to completely, you know, lean in and empathize with those, with those buyers and, and then map those things to solutions. So I think for, for me, we've got people on the team who are completely devoted to engaging with those buyers who already know they have an issue. They're already in market. And then we've got, we've got other efforts that are, are solely devoted to just like trying to explain how we help essentially. We get into a lot of detail about the the, the other tactics, and, and I'm sure we will. But I try to make it as simple as for folks on the team as possible, 
so that like all their KPIs, they could look at them. They're like, oh, I get which one of those three this one goes up to, right? All right, let's get to those tactics in the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Our next segment where you open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? Sure. I, I think that for us, I mean, we could talk a lot about, you know, individual like programmatic ad strategies and things like that. But I feel like rising above that one level is kind of where where we need to be, at least as a company and where, where I think a lot of marketers should be. And, and that is that buying committees are getting bigger, right? And if you're a buyer right now, it's really hard because even like a small purchase, like a $10,000 purchase is going to be under scrutiny from your CFO mm -hmm. right now. And so you, you've probably felt that, I, I bet, like in, in some of your sales, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, and yeah so, I mean, on both sides, we feel it as a buyer and, and, and definitely as a seller. Yeah, totally. So, so my goal is to make Intelligence Bank the easiest company in our space to actually buy from. And because buyers have a hard job, it's really hard to lasso all those different people on your buying committee and get them to agree on you as a vendor. So to be the easiest company to buy from in our space, we have to assume that buyers are going to conduct at least three quarters of their research before they even talk to a seller. And so for that reason, I think my three things are on-demand product tours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We create a ton of them. And, and sometimes they're even pretty detailed. So for example, let's say that you're a brand that, that has a huge Shopify component, like you just mm -hmm. have a lot of stuff that you sell, you're out there in, in the consumer space. We're going to offer you a product tour where you can get in and, and, and really succinctly take a self-guided tour through the Shopify integration. So everything from like, like each product at a high level to the actual integrations, we would just want to make it really easy for buyers to get in and, and see that. So for number one, that's my, my, my least cuttable. And I never would have said that two or three years ago. Yeah. I think the, the second thing for me is the product led growth component. So being able to, to offer a free trial to your buyers where they can get in and get a taste and try it and take it for a test drive, just like, you know, car buyers have been doing for like, you know, a hundred years. Yeah. It's so, and it's kind of crazy that, that it's taken, I think, B2B so long to catch up to that. But those are my top two for sure. And then I think the last thing, and this kind of alludes to something we talked about earlier, which is enabling your business to run in real time. So mm -hmm. I feel really, really strongly that the era of, that for most businesses, most businesses need to come to grips with the fact that buyers don't want an SDR gatekeeper at this point. Right. SDRs can still do so much great work, but when it comes to booking meetings, the ability to let buyers just book a 15 minute discovery call or a longer demo call at their, at a time that's good for them in real time on the website is really, really important. So that combined with the ability to also say, I want to chat with a rep right now. So it's, it's really running your business in real time. And we mentioned one of your sponsors qualified for, for this and, you know, they're really great at that. So anyway, those are my three really. And it, it's all like, it's all seen through the lens of the buyer, just make it easy for them 
and be transparent. I couldn't agree more. And I just like, I, I fundamentally like for me as an executive buying stuff with no time and trying to make decisions that are hard in, in such a short amount of time. It's like the old adage of like your customer thinks about you five minutes a year, <laughs> you know, like it's like so true. Right. Or at least like the buyer who's making the, the, you know, sign in the check. Yeah. You know, the end user probably thinks about you every day or every minute and then talking to someone who actually can make decisions. I mean, when was the last time in your entire life you wanted to talk to anyone who doesn't have decision-making power on the thing that you are trying to make a decision on? Like, would you ever get into, like like with the car analogy, it's like, would you ever get into a test drive and and go through all that stuff with someone and then when they're like, let me walk you back to the office and like, let's, let's, let's drop the paperwork. And you talk to the person, they're like, can you give me a discount on the, on the windshield wipers? Like, oh no, I don't have power to do any of this stuff. I'm just, I'm just here. You know, like what would you would you be like, what, what are we doing here? Make, let me talk to the person who can actually do that stuff. It makes absolutely no sense. I think it's just a huge waste of time, effort and energy, like, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and there's no bigger insult to somebody, right, than to waste their time. And and I and I also think, look, everybody wants to be like a Tesla Cybertruck where you in a perfect world where where the the offer and the promise of the product is so appealing that 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 you will, you know, you'll you'll just like put money down and, and you'll deal with all the gatekeepers and things like that. But it's rare, right? Look, you know, even wineries learned a long time ago that you have to have tasting rooms yeah. if you want to like elevate people from the stuff in the grocery store to the good stuff. So I, I just like for, for me, it's just it's got to be all about the buyer right now. And then as a marketer, then it's about bringing the sales team, you know, people who who have already done the research, if possible. And and then you can live the dream together, hopefully. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the other piece of this, which is there's so much information available on the internet that it's like if you have a really good SDR who can come into that meeting and say like, "Hey, based off of all the research we did online on this 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 and this and this." Or even better, you know, if they come to their website and you start talking to them right there. That's like, "Hey, I can get you here's the calendar for our sales rep. Like I can get you talking to someone either right this second or or very soon." But Hey, just based off of the stuff that I know about y'all, it seems like, and like, Hey, you've also watched, you know, three videos on our website. You've listened to our podcast a handful of times. Like you've done X, Y, Z. It seems like you sort of know what you're doing. Do you, or do you just want to talk to someone about like, what is even possible here? Like, those are the sort of things that I think like there's ways to add value in the process. But at the end of the day, if, if you're the person who's just spamming the zero button, like talk to operator, talk to operator, talk to operator, it's like, just let that person talk to someone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Or, or tell them like, hey, I don't think we're a fit for you if, if you know that they're not qualified. That's right. That's right. Yeah, agree. So, uh, so I'm curious, sort of how do you operationalize some of that stuff? And then how does your paid marketing, your content, your other things that you didn't discuss in those three, how does it fit into that? Do you market your buying experience? Like how do you let your customers and prospects know that you're trying to make it easier for them? So for example, when we're running our, our ABM and all band ads, we've actually started, started, you know, putting product tour like on some of the ads to make them know that they can actually 
you know, go to the website, do self-guided as opposed to, you know, having to go through a gatekeeper, things like Mm -hmm. that. I think part of it's like little ways. And then we're about to roll a bunch of changes live in the next few weeks where it's going to be much more kind of self-guided actually in general. So I think making it kind of glaringly obvious is, 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 is important, you know, even demand capture. So like something like paid search, most of those people, hopefully that are, that are aware of say your, your category name, right? For us, it's, it's like digital asset management is one of the big categories we play in. Or some mm-hmm. people know it's like, you know, brand management software, things like that. Letting people know in your ad, that's a free trial. There's a free trial or there's, there's a product tour, just being consistent with that messaging across the board and, and, and putting, you're basically putting out a light and saying that we're buyer friendly. And then I think a lot of, a lot of the the other things are are it's about context. There was a there's a book that came out five years ago or so called Context Marketing, mm-hmm. and it really started changing my the way that I was thinking about the way even like real time works on a website. And so we actually take the time now. We look at like every single significant content page that a buyer might arrive at or whatever. And when they show up there, we're asking them a relevant question. Like, for example, one of the things we offer is like for these highly regulated industries is a disclaimer engine, right? Mm-hmm. So when they arrive at that page, like we'll have a bot that comes up and says like, hey, are you, you know, like, are you struggling with like this or this, right? And try to engage them there. And so it, it's really about addressing them, you know, where they are and just trying to be helpful, even if you're using AI to be helpful as you offer to connect them with a human being. What about something that you're not going to be investing in or something that is a mostly cuttable budget item? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, like, as you alluded to before, it's budget season, right? So I, I think I think that something that's always on the border for me, and I say this with extreme caution, knowing that I've worked with some amazing PR firms out in the world that have done, that have been really amazing, you know, in the right place at the right time. But, but that's always on the bubble for me is I, I think, I think for PR, there's a time and place for it. And, and I think every company needs to invest in it at some point. But, but for me, it's, it's always one of those bubble items where you have to really look at, at what they're reasonably able to attain. And then, and whether you need to get the word out about it. And then if they're the right fit for the right outlets and market. What about that 10% experimental budget, crazy investments type stuff, moonshots? What are you, what are you thinking about for moonshots? Whether or not it's going to get approved or not, what are you thinking of? Yeah, actually. So for us, you know, this is a company, Intelligence Bank, that's always done a lot of you know, I'll just call it, you know, direct sales to, to be, to be yeah. general about it. But we're really actually excited about, about partner ecosystem at this mm. point. So, and we've got an amazing head of partner as well. And what, what's really cool is we're starting to see some of our partners kind of light up and say, Hey, you know, I think this would be a thing where it's better together because the integration that you've built is so good and it's actually genuinely helping us, you know, our, our customers do things. So we're, we're, so for us, it really is, it, it's partner. So we're, we're putting some investment into that and, you know, gonna, gonna really start trying to, trying to drive channel. And I think that the reason why that is, that it's, 
it's maybe it doesn't fit the definition of kind of a crazy moonshot, but because partner typically takes a while to pay off sometimes it can kind of feel like it's that experimental part. So it's one of those right. things where you don't want to invest until you actually start seeing so men, the building blocks of momentum and then starting. And then what you, you know, you want to do is really kind of add fuel to it. So, cause to do it right and to really get the channel, it, it, it takes significant time. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I, I think I totally see what you're saying where it's experimental because, and the reason why is because you are, relying on someone else. Like that to me is why it's experimental where you know, just like Pareto principle, you know that the 20% of partners are going to drive 80% of the results, right? So like, you know yeah. that that one in five are going to be really good and four probably going to be like, oh, whatever. And it's just like, it's like that, right? And And I think the reason why I think that's just like a great experimental thing is it's a ton of bandwidth, potentially. Yeah. It's a ton of like, going on dates together to see if you need to do something and right. to make sure like, you're like, Hey, we have the better together narrative, but like, what's our first engagement. And like, I think it's like, I get it. And we do this too. And everybody does this of like, Hey, let's go on the first date. Let's do a joint webinar. Let's do a joint event. Let's like co-sponsor something and like kind of see how it goes. Yeah. And you have to go on those first few dates and then you have to sort of like invest from there. But it's also like, it's a pretty silly thing that you would be like, oh, well, we did one co-branded event with someone and like that's going to determine whether or not there's going to be a high ROI like crossover for this sort of thing. It's like you have to do a, a longstanding engagement or do you? What do you think, William? I completely agree. I think the dating analogy is is actually really perfect. And, you know, there's all kinds of different partnerships, right? There's technology partnerships, technology alliances, Coast, you know, things where you're co-selling in the best case scenarios, your partner's reps are actually, they can retire quota from selling your product, right? I think that's kind of like the holy grail you want to get to. And, and I agree. I mean, there, sometimes you just know in those few encounters that you get that they don't get it or you don't get them, right? And, and it's, it's just not going to be compatible or easy to win together. It's like, may, might even be harder to win by doing things together because yeah, anyway, I could give a lot of examples, but it's, it's one of those ones where I think you, you know, pretty early on and it's so dependent on the human being in that, are, the human beings that are in the seats in the partner company, right? Because you, it really requires that close collaboration and their ability then to get buy-in on their side. Good one. We never hear that for ex experimentation, but I totally, that is such a good experimentation one. Any other thoughts on budgets or money or anything or uncuttable stuff or where you're making bets for next year? In the avenue of, of trying to be easier to buy from is just like getting increasingly price transparent. You still go out to software companies and you see a lot of them that it's, it's literally impossible. And I think it's a mistake because what happens then is, is those conversations go into dark social is, you know, they're in their, their professional groups. And they're like, Hey, anybody know, you know, what Caspian costs, right. And, and they're in there talking and then, you know, you've completely lost control of the narrative at that point. So for us getting increasingly transparent, giving, you know, bigger and better amounts of information that's that, that, that buyers can have on, on, and like really what things cost 
and then what functionality you're going to get as a result of that in, in the different packages is, is really important. And so I'm really happy our entire org is bought in around that. And, you know, at the enterprise level, there's definitely some things you can't price without a conversation because you can't even anticipate what the scalability might be sometimes or what flexibility might need to happen. So that's, I think, the only other thing that we're just really mindful of at this time. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole, you know, demand creation, demand capture, the thing that I think is is fascinating is like people are spending a lot of money on on capturing demand, right? And not as much creating it, which is sort of like the whole, the whole, I guess, if there was a debate, that you should spend more time upstream and be shaping those accounts while they're in this like pre-buying thing that they're going to do on their own anyways and go ask their friends and go ask what they use and all that stuff. So if you can get in front of them earlier, then in theory, it's easier. But like when you're budgeting, it's it's a lot easier to think about like, well, what does our whole year look like? But then once you get later on down the road and you're in Q4 and you're like, okay, what are we going to do to like close stuff? Like right this second. But it's like, but nine months ago, we were saying, well, we need to look at the year as like a year. And like, we're going to push everyone to buy at the end of the year when it's this budget cycle, because that's probably what's going to happen. And I know like, that's not what salespeople like to hear, but it's like, that's the reality of right now. Like that is the reality. Everyone is saying, let's see how Q4 goes and then we'll figure out what our budget's going to be. That's what everyone is saying right now. So I don't know. It's just kind of like silly to me to think about like the wheat was, was planted, you know, 11 months ago for what yeah. closes today. And, and I think that like so much of, of that stuff is like, what is your, what are you doing Q1 in marketing is going to shape how next year goes. I completely agree with a lot of that. And, you know, I, I actually think one of the biggest missed opportunities out there is sales and marketing not being aligned on the conversation, not just on ROI, but of cost of inaction. It's, you know, because I, I'd say a lot of companies, they lose deals the time of the year, not to another competitor, but to no decision. Yeah. It's like, you know, for us, it's okay. What does that, you know, what does that mean for your team? Does like, you know, without, without being able to increase productivity with the same head count, do you have any hope of making your goals next year? Right. And being able to actually help walk your buyers through, you know, what that looks like, what you're doing then is you're, you're preparing them to have a great conversation with the CFO. Do you have any thoughts on trends on stuff that people should be looking out for next year? Or, or anything that you're you're sort of debating or prognosticating or predicting. One of the things that I, that brands are going to have to be careful of is there's there's a lot of regulations coming really fast. So what what I hope that most marketing teams are out there doing right now are they're they're heavily using AI in a bunch of different ways, right? And and they're of course contextualizing it and editing it and taking ownership of over the end product because nothing turns buyers off faster, I think, than purely AI-generated content. So you need the human touch. But but I think one of the things that that teams are are gonna really need to pay attention to is these evolving AI regulations. Hmm. They kind of like the tip of it is recently our own you know administration in this country announced that that marketers should get ready to, you know, add watermarks to 
art that is essentially AI generated, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have enough detail around that right now. And everybody's going to be looking for that. But if we see that kind of stuff starting to happening here, you can bet it's going to be like tenfold in Europe as well. And it'll affect every marketer that does business in Europe. So I really think paying attention to that regulatory environment is going to be almost as important as other things that 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 you do. So I, I'd say if there was one thing, it would be it would be that AI is changing everything right now. And it's really going to change that. And you just got to make sure that you're doing the right things and, and, and that your team is is using it in the right ways. I agree. I mean, like, it's so it's so impossible to talk about AI with like, it's just, an, I could just stop there. That is impossible to talk about AI because yeah. it is moving so quickly. It's going to change humanity forever. It already is. Like, there's a million things that are going to do, specifically in regards to marketing, specifically with regards to content creation and like actually writing the words and yeah. like whether or not it's going to be, you know, the Turing test of like, can you tell AI made this versus like, can you not, you know, sort of things. The people I know are like really good with AI are very much like, don't worry about the tools. Don't worry about all this stuff. Like just use it, figure out the utility, treat it like your assistant and like go from there, Mm -hmm. which I think is really fascinating. And the idea that like you can, like I was talking to someone, shout out to Yadin from, from VMware, who he was like, we're all trained in search because like you search something and then that's what you get. Whereas AI is like, you have to reframe your thinking of like, Hey, instead of searching for something, you put it into, you know, whatever tool. And then you say, what about this? And then they say, okay, that, but like make it sound like, you know, Michael C. Hall from Dexter. And then like you have this, then it's completely different, which is like fundamentally different than, than what search is. And so anyways, all that to say, is like who who has any clue of how it's going to be but my thing is like when everyone has access to the tool and you can create all of this written content that is let's just say as good or better than than we can write ourselves mm-hmm. like you said what is the personalized touch what stands out like i i just will continue to go back to the fact that chat gpt or whatever telling me williams marketing strategy for next year Mm-hmm. versus him actually telling it to me, like, I super care about that. I super care about how William uses qualified because that's what matters. Like, how does your team use it? How are you getting results? Like, that m- investing more in that stuff and less like I'm going to search for it and find the answer on the interwebs to me is like the sort of like, hey, everyone should just be investing in like user-generated content co-created content. You should invest more in your community. You should invest more in building community. You should invest more in building watering holes, creating connections between people. Like that's all the stuff that you should be investing in, not just like giving people answers to questions, which like, you know, I think we've passed that part of marketing. I completely agree with all that. You know, the other thing too is I would say marketing leaders, they really need to take some ownership and responsibility and make sure that they're aware of what their teams are doing. Uh, just as one, a, one example is, you know, there was a situation recently where, where somebody said, hey, you know, we don't have to have that person re-record that piece, right? What I can do is I can just take their voice and use this tool. 
right? To, to create this thing, right? And, and of course, as a marketing leader, you have to set the boundaries and you have to be aware of all that kind of stuff because that could have really simple, like interesting and, and far reaching implications because just because there isn't a law against something today, it's because nobody could have imagined that it would be so easy. (laughs) So, so we actually have to anticipate in some ways, like, like in some cases it just comes down to like, do you think it's right or wrong? Because eventually the law is going to catch up with that. And I think it's just like, what I find fascinating is like, if you had company a, that's like everything on our website is created by a human. And that's Mm -hmm. the, that's our company policy that's our brand is that we want that and company b is like everything on our site is written by ai everything is like that's their choice to do those two different things yeah to build their company that way the company that like i want to build with caspian is a company that co-creates content with other smart people to learn how they're doing stuff right now and how they're thinking about the future like and how they've used experiences from the past like that's what i want to create so like we're never going to do all that other stuff. I'm going to use AI as my personal assistant, tell me to do research, tell me to do other yeah. stuff. But it's like, that's the way that I personally want to do it. And like, that's what we stand for. And because we want human beings to, you know, create things. But like other companies don't have to do that. And they can be like, and, and this could all change in six months. And I reserve right, my right to do that. I think it's really interesting that like, as a marketing team, you could make that decision and it could be beneficial in the market to be like, hey, not only do we use AI for everything, but it's like, that's part of our ethos as a company. And we're going to put those savings back to you by it with a cheaper product. Like that's, that's pretty fascinating. That's a compelling argument. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 it has places for that. Right. I mean, like machine, machine learning based language t- translation, for example. Yeah. Right. I think for, for a lot of people around the world, you know, that's an acceptable trade-off, but it's complicated, right? And that's, that's going to keep it interesting for sure. William, wonderful chatting with you as always. For listeners, well, go to qualify.com to check them out because they're an amazing sponsor and we love them dearly. Check out Intelligence Bank, a bunch of cool content, cool podcasts. I'm a guest on there if you feel the need to listen to both of us talk about brand stuff <laughs> and a bunch of other topics in between. William, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, no, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, yeah, head over to brand intelligence because there is more of this conversation and it goes into a lot of really interesting places. So, so thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy the conversation and the learnings. Likewise, always great chatting with you. Take care. Thank you. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.